one shot to say one thing to all of us about Christmas, it would be narrowed down to this one uh, four-word sentence, and here it is. Never settle for happiness. Never settle for happiness. Now, you probably need a few minutes for me to kind of wrap that up and explain what I mean by that. Most preachers would tell you the hardest sermons to write all year are Christmas and Easter. And that seems kind of weird, doesn't it, that the sermons that we struggle with the most are the ones that most people come to hear, Christmas and Easter. And the reason for that is because how many other ways are there to say those messages other than he's here, okay, Christmas, and he's alive at Easter. So he's here, he's alive. That's about it, okay? So hallelujah, praise God, let's get out of here. I mean, those, those are the messages. So how many other ways can you really say that? And so the struggle that a lot of people have who do what I do for a living is what can I say that is fresh, what can we find in the Word of God concerning Christmas that most of us would say, dude, I never have thought of it that way? What can be there? And the reality is, as I thought through that this week and kind of wrestled with that, anticipating the gathering that you and I are doing right now, what is it, God, that would be new? And it came down to this, never settle for happiness. And that message has always been in the story. I mean, it's right there. I'm going to show it to you in a little bit, but we've never caught it, maybe because we have never used open, fresh eyes to look for it. But there it is. Never settle for happiness. And just so you know, it came from an angel. Now, you all know, because you're smart people who attend Eastside Christian Church, you know that angels are flooded in the Christmas story. You know that. They're in all our decorations. We talk about them. We sing about them. Angels are all over the story. I, I found it interesting this week. I did some looking at that. And if you took the whole Christmas story from the announcement to Mary that she will conceive a child to the end of the story where Jesus is about two years old, if you took that whole story, all of that together, that is told to us in the Bible by Matthew and Luke, and you put it all together on a paper, you would know that the angel showed up, listen to this, seven times, seven different times, there was a declaration from an angel. The very first time the angel comes up, he's given a name, Gabriel. The other six are never given a name. And so some people think that maybe they were different angels. Most Bible scholars think, no, it was Gabriel the whole way through. It was always him and just established his name. So we're going to go with that. We're going we're to hunt down that one for a little bit. And we're just going to say that Gabriel showed up seven different times. Watch this. One time he appeared to Mary, and then one time he appeared to the shepherds, and one time he appeared to the wise men, and four times appeared to Joseph. Four times. I don't know if that means, ladies, you agree with this, men need constant instruction? I don't know, okay? But for some reason, four times. And so in every one of the times, all seven of them, the angel was sent by God because Gabriel is going to give direction. 
Do this, don't do this. Know this, don't know this. He's going to give instruction. And when you zero in, all seven are worthy of great attention. But when you zero in and look what he said to the shepherds, it's right there. It's right there. Never settle for happiness. Don't ever settle for happiness. Now, let me read this story to you. You've heard it before, but now maybe you'll see it in a little bit different light. The angel shows up, and here's what happens. The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Right there it is. Never settle for happiness. And you might say, Dave, I never heard you say the word happiness. I never heard happy in that text. I've never read it. It doesn't say anything at all with happiness. It's not there. But it does talk about, you know, don't you, joy. And not just joy, not just normal joy. Joy is not in the text. It says great joy. The word great is maga. It means off the charts joy. It means top of the wall joy. It means monster, monster joy is what he's talking about. Nothing about happiness. And the reason I think that is important is because there's nothing wrong with happiness. There's certainly nothing wrong with happiness right now during this season. I mean, smiling and laughing and getting along and having a good time. I mean, even Jesus did that on this earth. There is nothing wrong with happiness at all. But you and I both know happiness sometimes can be hard to grab hold of. And once you finally get happiness, most people in this room know that there are times once you have it, it just seems to slip out of the fingers at times, and then it's really hard to get back. But joy didn't work like that. Joy is different. Mega monster joy is really different because here's the deal. You can have joy and not be happy. You can. And so my message to you today on this Christmas is that you raise the bar, you raise your standards because you are not going to settle just for happiness. If you get it, that's great, that's awesome, but you want more, and God made you for more, and that's joy. And so the reality is that this is the season when we learn that more than anything because everything around Christmas teaches us to grab for happiness, attain happiness, go get happiness, hold on to happiness. Can I be the one in the room to say, sometimes happiness don't show up? Can anybody say amen to that? Huh? We build happiness around presence, and that's awesome. I don't care who you are, how old you get, we love opening gifts with our name on them. We do, we do. And, and you eventually get to the point where you love to give them to other people too. There's happiness in all the gift-giving stuff. I am the worst purchaser of gifts 
in America. I'm terrible at it. I've never been good at it. One year I asked my wife, I said, baby, I don't know what you get ya. I never get you the right thing. And so we went to the mall and there was one of those, you know, nice swanky joints for you gals. And I said, go in there, check out some outfits, find you one like, and uh, just grab it and give it to uh, the, the sales lady and she'll put it somewhere and I'll come back later and I may or may not buy it for you for Christmas. So she goes in there and I go do my thing. And, and a couple hours later, I come back in the store. I say, hey, was a lady in here, by, you know, to check it out. She goes, oh yeah. I said, did she leave something? Yeah, she left something. So we walk over there and dude, there are 12, 15 outfits on this rack. And I'm thinking, that's not what I meant. I meant one, okay? And, and she's got 12, 15. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I sold one of my kids and I went ahead and bought all of them, okay? And I brought them all to Christmas. And she said, I meant for you to pick one from the rack. Well, she was happy then, okay? Because sometimes gifts make you happy, okay? I love the story of the couple walking through the mall and the, the lady says to her husband, well, we still got to get my mom something. I don't know what to get my mom. I don't know what to get my mom. And he said, well, what's she like? She goes, well, she likes electric things. He said, how about a chair? That's horrible, isn't it, huh? So, so happiness sometimes is attached to the gifts that we celebrate around this season. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that idea. But, but you know, watch this. Sometimes the whole gift-giving thing brings the opposite of happiness. Anybody here looked at your bank account uh, this last month and realize that the expectations of others are bigger than your account, huh? Anybody in the room, the expectations you have for yourself regarding that are bigger than that? Our church was able to help a number of children in our community this year with gifts, and it was a unique set of kids who just weren't going to have Christmas. And so, the party for those kids was, you know, all exciting and everything. But at the same time, those who were there told me it was heartbreaking, Dave, because we realized what was going to happen with those kids if we hadn't shown up. See, sometimes even gift giving don't bring you happiness. Never, ever settle for happiness at Christmas. Never. Sometimes happiness is built around this season around family and friends and the gathering of people, and we love doing that. We will have our Christmas and our family Tuesday. And so in a few days, all my children and all my daughters-in-law and all my grandchildren, they're all going to convene together on Tuesday morning in our house, and it's going to be busy, and it's going to be loud, and it's going to be crowded and chaotic, and in 30 minutes, my grandkids will destroy the home we have maintained all year long. And Susan and I will be happier in that moment than the last time we were all together, right? Because sometimes happiness is built around the people in our lives, but what if Cousin Eddie is in your family? Because <laughs> he's in all of our families, isn't he, huh? And nobody wants him there, but he shows up with all his drama every year. Have you identified yet who the drama person is in your family? Don't raise your hand, just keep looking at me, okay? <laughs> what, what if this is the first year someone's not there? What if this is the... The 10th year, their seat is still empty. See, happiness is really hard to muster up sometimes for some people. 
And some people understand that, that, that we, we've, we built this season into this something that, that, that be happy and, 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 and that's great and that's awesome, but that's not reality sometimes. And sometimes even when you get it on December 26th, it's gone. And so is there, is there a message when this angel showed up to these shepherds that would relate not only to those guys, but would relate to people like me and you years and years later? And I think, yeah, because I think the message is happiness is keeping the bar too low. It's bigger than happiness. Don't ever settle for that. If you can be happy, be happy. But that's not the goal. The goal is joy. Monster joy. Because you can have monster joy and not have any happiness at all at the same time. So, so you look at the angel and you start to see what he means by that. There are a few things. Monster joy is good news. Would you hear me? God is a God of good news. And if any of us in this room were told by an angel that God wants to meet you in about 30 minutes, what would happen? We would all be absolutely terrified because our view is that God is about bad news. What does the angels do when they, they, they're terrified about it? And the angels say, oh no, you're missing it. Gabriel says, you're missing it. It is good news. God is about good news. In fact, I loved this little detail as a scholar of the Bible. And so if you're a Bible person, listen to this. It's fascinating. The word for good news there at this moment, which is somewhere around, let's just say zero, the year zero. And, and, and what we find out is that from that point on, the rest of the Bible, which is about the next 60 or 70 years, is the rest of the Bible. What we find out is that the people who knew Jesus, when they told other people about Jesus, when they wanted other people to know what God was doing in the world, guess what? They used that word. They were trying to suggest that God is a God of good news. And so can I say this to you? Can you hear this? Can you kind of get out of your spirit and out of your head and start dismissing it that God is not some grumpy old man with some bad news that he wants to lay in your life? God is one of good news. Watch the angel. It is for all the people. Good news for everybody. Now, I'm just going to be blunt with you and, and, uh, and completely open with what that means. This was written in an incredibly racial tone. It was said to Jewish shepherds who for years and years and years believed that if God had anything good, it was only for Jews. Gentiles didn't get it. And Gabriel showed up and said, no, we're changing that now, baby. And so the good news of God is now for everybody. And so here's what that means. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done in your life. Doesn't matter what color your skin is. Doesn't matter what you did in education. Doesn't matter how much money you make. Doesn't matter who you know, who you don't know. Doesn't matter what side of the tracks you are. God has good news for everybody in the room. Somebody look at the next person right to you and say, even you, even you. Some of you look surprised when you say it. Even you, dude. 
good news for everybody. That's not happiness, because you lose happiness. Monster joy is God's got good news for everybody. So what's the good news? Well, the angel is clear. There's, there's no possibility of mistaking what the good news is. And here it is. God has given you a savior. Now, I want that to kind of get down in you. And I know we got a lot of stuff going on the rest of the day. And I know what tomorrow is, okay? I know your mind can go a million places, but come on, come on, come on. Right back down to me, right here. I want you to hear, and I want you to take the word Savior that we use way too frequently without thought. Savior means that you are in danger. Why would you need a savior if you weren't in danger? That's what it means to save us from danger. And so Gabriel suggests to the shepherds, here's what's happening, guys. We've got some good news for everybody that God is bringing you a savior because you're in trouble. You're in danger. And what's the danger? Well, the danger is the effect of sin. That because of sin in our life and sin in our world, we are in danger of the consequences for that. And you know that, and I know that. And I know that Christmas is a feel-good time. We're supposed to build people up and walk out, yeah, that sounds great, that's awesome. But here's the reality of it. The only reason a Savior was born, the only reason is because all the people, including you and me, were in danger because of the sins we committed. And so the child shows up, and the child says, I will pay that account for you so that you're not in danger anymore, so that the, the board is clean for you. And here's the good news. Here's the good news that God has great messages for all people, and that is he has provided one who will clean your account, who will take away all of the danger of your sin, everybody in the room, and when you accept that and embrace it, and many of you in this room have done that, watch this, you have no account to pay and that's what monster joy is. Now watch, watch this. When you understand that great joy, that I have been saved from my danger, watch. It doesn't matter if I'm not happy. Now if I can get happy, that's awesome. If I can hold it for a while, that's great, that's good, we ought to seek it out. But just because happiness slips out of your fingers temporarily, it never changes what monster joy is. You have been saved from your danger. Let me tell you kind of a goofy way of thinking about that. 
We have some pastors in our church, and if you're from Eastside, you know one of our pastors is a John Talbot, godly man, been here for, I don't know, about 150 years, been here forever, a wonderful shepherd, lover of people, incredible family, just a great, great guy. And uh, John told me the other day, he had a dream that uh, he and myself and our worship pastor, Aquila, were driving out a car, and there was an accident, and John said, I had this dream, and we're standing at the gates of heaven. And so apparently accident was not real good. And John said, we get up there and there's this pond and we're told we gotta walk across the pond and if you get to the other side of the pond, you're in heaven. And so they looked at John and said, you take off first. And they said, now before you go, here's what you need to know. The more sins you committed on this earth, the deeper the water gets. And so John takes off, the water's about at his ankles. And John says, he's feeling pretty good. He keeps cruising along in his dream. It gets up to his knees. And then it gets up to his waist, and he's worried about it, but it levels off. And he makes it to the other side, and he's in heaven. And he sees God point across to the pond, tells Aquila, take off. And Aquila takes off, and the water gets up to his ankle, and he just keeps walking and walking and walking, and it never gets deeper than his ankles the whole way. And John's watching the whole thing, and finally looks at God and says, hey, time out. There ain't no possible way that's right. I know that guy. I know his story. There ain't no way I committed more sins than him. No way. And God says, he's standing on Hastings' shoulders. <laughs> So watch this, watch this. That's what you're gonna remember the whole thing, isn't it? Okay, so watch this, watch this. The Savior took the pond away. That's monster joy, not happiness because I don't want you to ever settle just for happiness or you're gonna have some bad times. Seek joy. And so there's the only one way we can leave this room and us singing joy to the world. And so I'm gonna invite our worship team, they're gonna come on out here and they're gonna get ready and we're gonna sing this famous Christian song about Christmas. And we're going to get ready for it. And that's how we want you to leave today, not seeking happiness, but seeking joy. Now, let me tell you something about joy real quick. We sing that song that's been around for about 400 years is when it was first written by Isaac Watts. And a lot of the old Christian hymns and and, and anthems were written by Mr. Watts, incredible songs. And we still sing this one 400 years later, Joy to the World. But did you know this about it? This is a fascinating thing about Joy to the World. It was not written about Christmas. Christmas is the first coming of Jesus. And the song was not written about that at all. In fact, the song was written about the second coming of Jesus when he returns. It comes from Psalm 98. It talks about God returning to the earth. And Isaac Watts took the 98th Psalm and he wrote a hymn about it, which is Joy to the World and the incredible joy that we will receive when Jesus comes back. And somewhere along the line, and we really don't know where, the song started to morph into a theme of the first coming of Jesus. And so that's why we sing it at Christmas time. We don't know when or where that happened. We just start seeing signs of it happening. 
And now you and I sing it every year at the first coming of Jesus. And so it dawned on me. There is no way to have joy at the second coming of Jesus unless you have joy about the first coming. And so my challenge for you today is that you understand the good news of God is that he gave you a savior. Let's sing with all of the joy in our heart over what he's done. Would you stand with me?